Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. And welcome in. Things are getting exciting, people. There's one preseason game to go. We're close to the final roster cut down. We're getting a clearer picture of some aspects of the roster. And we're getting a sense of some other maybe battles that we didn't know were necessarily battles until uh, until we've watched things play out the last couple weeks. So we... And by we, I mean John Glennon, Denard Walker, and myself, David Beauclair. We are here with Believe in Titans to uh, to dive into all of it once again. So uh, so let's get to it. Uh, where to start? Let's start at right tackle. Well, actually, let's start at left guard. Because in Monday's practice, the first practice after the preseason game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dylan Radens got some work at left guard, which has not been the case for weeks. Correct me, John Glennon, if I'm wrong. I think he did it maybe a little bit early in the OTAs, but for the yeah. most part this offseason, he's been locked into right tackle. So, Correct. John, does that tell you that, uh, that Dylan Radens has lost the bid to be the starting right tackle to Nicholas Petit-Frere, or is he – on the way out the door at this point. I think he is uh, on the way out, um, you know, and unfortunately for the Titans, uh, you know, because to me, you know, the, the Titans, uh, you know, they certainly had penciled in Dellen Raidens as the right tackle, uh, you know, this off season, he had a year under the system, you know, they, they moved him from a swing guy, you know, during the off season, they said, you're going to focus on right tackle, right tackle only for the most part. You're the, you're the guy. And they were giving him the vast majority uh, of first team snaps at right tackle up until, you know, fairly recently. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that he has continued to struggle, especially in pass blocking, you know, I think he's adequate in the, in the running game, but I, I think there are those, you know, two or three snaps per preseason game 
um, that he's just not cutting it. And and again, you know, you're looking at a Titans team that wants to improve its pass blocking from a year ago because it was so bad. Uh, you know, and I don't think Dylan Raidens is the best guy to do that right now. And that's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, certainly a, um, you know, a disappointment when it, when we talk about the scouting of the of the Titans of Dylan Raidens in that regard. So I think, uh, you know, Nicholas Petit Frere is now going to get every opportunity to win that job. I don't know if it's completely settled yet, but I think they certainly want to see what Nicholas Petit Frere can do again this week against Arizona in the practice, uh, in the game on Saturday night. And, and if Nicholas Petit Frere, you know, doesn't have any disasters or, or, you know, doesn't allow, you know, three sacks in the game, I, I think he's on the way to uh, to winning that right tackle spot. Yeah, I, I mean, Petit Frere started the game against the Buccaneers at right tackle. He played more at left tackle probably uh, when all was said and done. But but Raiden's, you know, when Raiden's went in there, he, he clearly struggled at points. Mike Vrabel was asked on Monday what what is sort of the, the key criteria in evaluating that spot. And he said, and I quote, always just seeing how they protect. We have to be able to protect our quarterback and the guy with the ball, whether that's the running back, but especially the quarterback. So, John, Pro Football Focus does grades every for every player every game. What was Dylan Radens' pass blocking grade against the Buccaneers? Yeah, I don't have the exact in front of me, but I believe it was between 17 and 18. 17.3, I believe, was the number, and that's yeah. not good. And and right. if if pass blocking is sort of the is sort of the key thing there, I think that that speaks volumes. Denard, we've talked about this. You know, he Raidens was primarily a left tackle in college, and for some guys, the the switch is difficult to the other side. So so my next question is this: If Dylan Raidens was unable to win the right tackle job this year, and, and clearly he had every chance. Can he be the third tackle, that swing guy who could plug in at either spot, or are they going to look at somebody like a Christian Deloro or, or uh, you know, so maybe somebody else? There, there's no obvious choice, I think, for that on the roster because I, I think Petit Frere was the guy they were counting on to do that. So if, if he has failed miserably at right tackle, can they look at him as that third guy realistically? Well, you might you might not have a choice uh, the way it looks now because, you know, you kind of look at – and I saw pro football focus grade on him. It was 17.8, and I saw where they had Nicholas Petit Frere at 74.3. So <laughs> that is a disparity as far as pass blocking. But, you know, John and David, I was kind of, you know – I kind of look at things from a player's perspective and which is and why I, we like having you here. Yeah. Well, so you might <laughs> not like a much it. better player than us. Well, <laughs> you guys are better writers, but let me, let me say this is, is I can actually empathize with Dylan because I've actually, I went through something, something similar to this uh, when I went from Tennessee to Denver and in four years in Nashville, I played on the left side primarily about 90% of the snaps and then when I got to Denver, the first thing that Ray Rhodes wanted to do, he wanted to put me on the right side. And then he wanted Delta O'Neill to play the left side. Now, I struggled throughout camp. And I'm sure if pro football focus, if they were there back in night, back in 2000, 2001, they would have gave me a grade of about 17.2 because it was it's, it's new. It's like a hitter 
And, uh, you know, let's say you take a right-hand hitter and all of a sudden you switch him to the left side. He's probably going to struggle for a while until he can kind of get the mechanics of being on a different side of the plate. It's the same thing with an offensive lineman, same thing with the defensive back. It's going to take some time for him to get used to playing to the right side because everything changes now. You look at him in college in 2019, primarily he played the left tackle position where he was an All-American. That's why they drafted him. So sometimes it's going to take some time for him to get used to the right side so he's going to struggle for a while but david you said something i'll never forget there can be a consolation prize in 2023 whoever loses this battle because he could go back to the left side next year so again this year he right now it's not looking good but what you have to do is he has to learn to just continue to kind of you know when you're going to it's like playing a new position it's going to take some time for him to get used to using uh, doing the mechanics using the left right uh and it's just you know it's one of those things where you can expect the guy to struggle for a little bit uh, so uh, for for people who for people who are willing to write or or maybe wanting to write off Dylan Radens right now as a bust you're saying Pump the brakes on that. Not even close. Then pump the brakes. It, this is this is only his second year, and he's playing a new position. I know when people you see tackle, you say, "Well, you can just move a guy from one spot to the other." It doesn't work like that. From some players, it's going to take some time. I know. I'm used to it. I've been through it. So again, you know, just he's going to have to get with the offensive line coach Keith Carter, and they're going to have to take some extra reps after practice. I don't know what he's doing afterwards or before, but it's, it's sometimes just come back to mechanics and it just, it's something that for some people it's foreign when you move from one side to the other, because everything changes your footwork, your hand placement. And that's something that he has to get used to, but he showed the ability to do it, John, because I'm going to say this. If you look at the game last year, when they played against the San Francisco 49ers, Nick Bosa, uh, everywhere that Dylan's lined up, typically he was on that right side. You saw Nick Bosa go to that side and he did pretty well. I mean, Nick Bosa didn't, he didn't have not one suck. He had a couple pressures, but he handled his business. And that's what you want to see is when it comes game time. And, and yeah, Mike Vrabel, yeah, Mike Vrabel was asked early in camp about gamers. Like, does he believe in the idea of a guy who's better in games than, than practices and, and, you know, no name was mentioned specifically, but I remember thinking at the time, whoever asked the question was sort of asking about Radens and, uh, and, and Vrabel acknowledged that there, there might be something to that, but you know, he, he's, he's not real comfortable with that idea. And certainly a guy who has very few, if any pelts on the wall, like D- Dylan Radens, I don't think can get the benefit of a doubt there. John, you had something. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to mention, too, you know, I completely agree with you, Denard, in terms of a learning curve and in terms of switching from one side to the other. But let's remember also that the guy who he's competing with, Nicholas Petit-Frere, was also a left tackle in in college and is now playing right tackle. He's only been in the NFL for, you know, a matter of months, and he is apparently doing it better than than Dylan Radens is right now. So, you know, I, I think the learning curve is quicker quicker for Nicholas Petit Frere and perhaps too slow uh, for Dylan Radens. And, and, you know, maybe just the, the second point, I, you know, honestly, I, I think Dylan Radens really right now is kind of the, the same guy, uh, unfortunately, as we saw at the end of last year, you know, a guy who consistently gets high marks for his, his effort, his smarts and work ethic, but at, at right at the, at the point right now is just simply uh, a, a swing guy, reserve offensive lineman, which is great. You love to love, love to have those kind of guys, but you didn't want to have to spend a number two pick 
uh, for, for a swing guy on the offensive line. Yeah, and also, did Nicholas Petit-Frere out of Ohio State, didn't he play both positions, the left and the right side? I remember he made All-American at the left side. But prior to that, back in 2020, didn't he start at right tackle for Ohio State? I don't, and that I don't, was think, his, he, I don't think he started there, there, but there were some games where, where he they, played. they would, so, you, know, you know, like play to play, they might even move him back and forth a little bit based on what they were doing. And that was his strongest attribute, his ability to play both sides. So, again, I mean, that's, again, for Dylan, it's foreign. I mean, he typically was a primary left tackle in college at North Dakota State. So, again, transitioning from one side to the other, it's going to take some time. Moving to the other side of the ball and, and to a competition that I think has, uh, has been dramatically different in that it hasn't been a case of somebody losing it. I think it's, uh, it, it's one guy maybe being just a little bit better, but both guys kind of sh- having their moments throughout camp. And that's, uh, that's at the cornerback spot opposite Christian Fulton, where Roger McCreary had a little bit of setback in the middle of camp, didn't play in the preseason game against the Ravens, but uh, but last week against the Buccaneers got a lot of run at that spot in in the in the team drills and the seven on seven played uh, played a ton against uh, against the Buccaneers and and for the last week or so the, the rotation has largely been McCreary and Fulton the starters. Caleb Farley, the third guy in and and pushes McCreary into the slot in those situations, you know, both high draft picks, but two dramatically different guys, physically speaking. And we teased to this last week in this podcast, and we have we've been talking about it off air for a while. So, John Glennon, this was your baby. Let's get to this. What uh, what what is Roger McCreary overcoming to to be as as good and a, and productive a player as he is right now. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that that Roger McCreary is overcoming, and the reason he was probably a second round draft pick as opposed to a first round, um, is is the arm size. Uh, you know, he was measured I think twenty eight and seven eighths uh, inches uh, length of arms. Um, you know, and and there's a website that that kind of projects uh, you know you know a lot of draft picks based on. Uh, measurements and so forth and they had uh, Roger McCreary's arm length in there as as a zero percentile like basically you never draft a guy with with arms this short um, but but this could be you know the classic case you know John Robinson has said it uh, uh, many times you know numbers great all that hey let me turn on the film if you're good at football you know we're, we're going to take you uh, that that's what makes the difference. So the question I think now is certainly Roger McCurry overcame that in, in college. You know, I think he graded out uh, as the best corner in college. And this is, you know, playing at Auburn, playing against some great SEC wide receivers, 37 pass breakups in, in 35 games over the last three seasons, 16 last year, uh, you know, led the SEC in terms of pass breakups. So certainly his production, uh, uh, you know, so far as as said, doesn't matter how long my arms are. I'm going to get in your grill. Uh, you know, I'm going to be so close to you. My arms don't need to be long. But that's uh, that's basically what Roger McCurry has done so far. The question is, now that you're taking it up another level on the NFL, you know, where all the receivers are are, are so big for the most part and and so physical, can he keep doing the same thing right now? And you know, I, I think he's off to a a pretty solid start so far and and you know he's showing a lot of those same skills that, that we saw in college so 
That is the question, and I don't know. I know Denard has been just dying to uh, to weigh in on this topic uh, because uh, Denard had some. Uh, you know what? You had some pretty long arms. If I if uh, if uh, David Beauclair's research was uh, was correct, right, Denard? So so how does yeah, that, that factor in? If you compare if you compare him to Farley, for example, Farley yeah. is thirty three and three eighths in, right. in his arms. Right. I mean, you're almost you're almost five inches difference in wingspan. Farley's got him by almost six inches. But but as we point out here, we we have a cornerbacking expert with us. <laughs> so when you hear about cornerbacks, you hear about hips, you hear about feet. You hear about eyes that, you know, you hear about all these things. I don't know that I've heard a lot of discussion about arms. So Denard Walker, where do arms, how important are arms in playing cornerback? The spirit of Davy Hudson lives on in belief <laughs> podcast. Uh, let me say that. And, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this. Uh, David Beauclair, you are a, let me guess, a Philly. You're from Philadelphia. That is correct. Yes. If you're from Philadelphia. I'm going to give you a name and you, I want you, and you better know this, David, AKA Mighty Mouse. What does that ring a bell? Mighty Mouse. Are we talking, I'm thinking Darren Sproles. Oh (laughs) my goodness. No, 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 no. Mr. Mark McMillan, AKA Mighty Mouse back in the mid eighties. Wow. That is a blast. You're talking about in 1997, he led the league in interception return yards. How tall do you think he was? 5'10". He was 5'7", 154 pounds. Let me give you another name. And I'm not even going to mention Roger McGarry. I'm going to talk about a player that played 20 seasons with the Redskins, had 54 interceptions. He was inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2008, and he's from a small school called Texas A&M, not the A&M Aggies, Texas A&M, Kingsville. Daryl Green. Daryl Green, five foot nine, 184 pounds. And last, I'm going to give you two more names. He's a defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. He played 15 years. He was a three-time pro bowler, and he's on the New York Jets all-time four-decade team. Uh, John Glennon, I know you know this one. I'm just waiting to see if David can come. Yeah, I, okay, I got to outpro. I like getting David. Is uh, I I don't I I should know this, but I don't. Bring John, it, John. You know this one. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you announce that. Aaron Glenn, the great okay. Aaron okay. Glenn, and last but not least, one of my favorite players of all time from Southern University. 1991 third round draft pick. He was a three-time first team all pro inducted to the NFL hall of fame in 2014. He was five feet, 11 inches tall, same arm span. You want to name it. His name was Aeneas Williams. And I'm going to give you two more names. There's a guy that I played with a player by the name of Lenny Walsh was six foot four. He played six seasons in Denver, never made a pro bowl and Brandon Browner played with the Legion of Boom. He was most known. He set the NFL record for penalties in a season in 2015-24. Size means nothing in the National Football League, especially at the cornerback position. These names should tell you that it dispels that myth. It doesn't matter your hand size. It What matters is your heart. 
There's a lot of players that have all the physical attributes, but when you see players like this, like an Aaron Glenn, like a Daryl Green, like a Mark McMillan, they absolutely dispel that because it's all about your ability to go out there and shut down the opposing those receivers. That's what you get paid for in this league. Roger it was a first-team All-American coming out of college in the toughest conference in college football. That's the SEC. So you got to understand, and look at this. All great receivers, they come from where? They come from the college ranks. Now, only thing you do is you call them pros now because now you, you're paying them. And so Roger, only thing he has to do, the difference between Roger McCurry and Caitlin Farlip is Caitlin is six foot two inches tall. Roger's five foot 11. But again, it doesn't matter. As long as you can get out there and you can play technique and do what Roger does best. He's a great tackler. He tackles great in space. He's physical. You think about Antoine Winfield. There's a lot of similarities between these two. Antoine Winfield was actually smaller. He was five foot nine and he played a long time in the National Football League and was a pro bowler multiple times. So once again, size in the National Football League, it means nothing. You played with a guy early in your career too. Daryl Lewis was hardly the biggest guy in the world. Five the- by five. T- Steve Jackson is smaller than that. Yeah. He's five foot nine. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of pl- Blaine Bishop, five foot nine. Yeah. I mean, he'll tell you he's about five eleven, but I promise <laughs> you he's five foot nine. It's uh, and and to be fair, again, you know, Caleb Farley has not been bad, but we we I'm sure we talked about this a, a few weeks back. I think I think. What you're seeing is a product of experience, and Roger McCreary played a lot of college football. Caleb Farley, in many ways, is still learning the position, and uh, and you see, you know, there have been moments you see him use his athletic attributes to his advantage. And and Mike Vrabel has talked about it, that there are some balls that quarterbacks think they have room to get it in there. And then all of a sudden this long reach shows up and, and he knocks a, he knocks a pass down, but the consistency with McCreer and to your point, Denard, I went back and I looked at a couple of pre-draft scouting reports to see, see what people were saying about Roger McCreary. And I found two lines that I thought were really interesting and, and speaks to how he deals with this quote unquote issue. One said, and I quote, he suffocates receivers in space when operating on a vertical plane, meaning he's going to run with you down the field as far as you want to go. And two rakes through receivers hands to, to uh, affect catch chances. So he he's there. He's and John, you sort of said this. He's there. He's close enough that that the arm length isn't an issue, and and he and he reaches in there and and breaks it up. And this is a guy that uh, you know for for a, a team that hasn't had a lot of immediate impact from draft classes the last couple of years. This is a guy who looks like kind of exactly what you want: a second round pick who's showing up from day one and and is going to make. A, a big impact on this defense. Well, I was just going to say, uh, add on to that, David. Uh, what didn't the Titans? They have a player by the name of Pac-Man Jones, I believe. He played there, and he wasn't that tall, Pac-Man. No, he was what? not. Athletic no. is all get out. Athletic though. as it could be. Great <laughs> returner. Sure, but now I, I will say, now, now uh, you can probably you know differentiate too between height. And, and arm length too, though, right? Like, I yeah. mean, a guy can be not the tallest guy in the world and, and still have, you know, longer arms than, than Roger McCreary. I mean, I mean, Roger McCreary is notably 
very, very short arms. But it didn't it didn't hurt him in college. You know, when you look at the receivers he went up against, Henry Ruggs, Jamar Chase, you know, Devontae Smith and, and Traylon Burks too. And and certainly, you know, he, he uh held his own and and uh, you know got the better of these a uh, number of these receivers as well. So, and, and, you know, another, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, we talked about Dylan Raidens uh, and, and we were talking about gamers. I think Roger McCreary is, is a tremendous gamer too. You know, the kind of guy that, that loves uh, to, to compete, uh, loves being out there. And he's constantly got that sort of chip on the shoulder mentality. Uh, I, I looked back in his, his kind of his file too, and, and read that he was the third lowest recruit in, in Auburn's class in, in 2018 guy who wasn't even really expected to, you know, to, to make a difference on the college level certainly did there. And, and I think we're so far we're, we're seeing a continuation of that chip on the shoulder. I'll, I'll show you what I can do. And, and I think that I think it's good for Caleb Farley too. As we say, a guy who's played really relatively little football, to be at the and, and particularly at the cornerback position to be where he is now he doesn't have to take as many learn as many hard lessons along the way I, I think uh, you know I, I think there's there's a there's a benefit to him to having sort of a smaller role this year and then expanding as as he goes provided he can stay healthy which seems to uh, which seems to always be the question with him on to a, a competition that I I think most of us didn't really know was a legitimate competition until recently. But uh, those of us who were at, at practice last week and, and who saw the game Saturday night, it, it gets your attention when Brett Kern, day after day, as was the case in practices and as was the game, case in the game, is not the holder for Randy Bullock on place kicks. And, and, and Ryan Stonehouse, the undrafted rookie out of uh, Colorado State, has a big leg. We all knew that, but uh, apparently it, it's a big leg to the point that that he is threatening to kick Brett Kern out the door. Um, John Glennon, where do you see this thing right now? Yeah, I, I think something that you mentioned, um, you know, the opportunity Stonehouse had to hold uh, for Randy Bullock was a real sign that they're saying, huh, we really like what you're doing now. Maybe if you if you can show that that you're good enough to hold and and that Randy Bullock is successful kicking when you holding, you, you know that that's going to be another plus for you. And and he certainly seemed to do that. So that's another indication to me that this is a pretty significant competition here. And you know, I, I, Mike Vrabel uh, has been on record. You know, last year two or three times said that the punting you know uh, wasn't good enough. You know, and certainly I don't think Brett Kern had a bad year. Uh, at all but at the same time I, I think his averages you know both o- overall and net were the lowest since I believe 2016 or, or 17 so you know you wonder in his I believe 15th year is, is there starting to be a little bit of a decline and and do you kind of uh, you know look at Stonehouse and say you're the guy of the future you're going to have a lot of good years you know uh, that's a um, something I think the Titans really need to look at uh, because looking at that first Stonehouse punt from the other night, that football look at it, like exploded off the guy's foot, you know, 68 yards into the end zone. The the other thing though, that, that Stonehouse has to show in addition to being a holder, we know he can punt. We know he's got a huge leg, but he has to show direction. He has to show touch that we know Brett Kern has shown over the years, uh, you know, in terms of getting the ball inside the 20, in terms of avoiding touchbacks. 
the first two punts that Ryan Stonehouse had uh, the other night, incredible punts, great punts, but they went right through the end zone. Whereas Brett Kern, I think, had one land, you know, out of bounds of the nine, another one out of bounds of the four. Uh, Stonehouse had two more attempts, and he, uh, he he got them inside the 20. If he can get punts inside the 20 on a regular basis, and we know he's got that unbelievable uh, leg, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I I think he might be the uh, I think he might be the guy, and and Brett Kern may be in trouble. Yeah, that, thus far this preseason, Stonehouse has punted six times. Three of them have been touchbacks. Three have ended up inside the twenty. Kern has punted five times. Four of them inside the twenty with no touchbacks. And and if you go back and look, the last time Brett Kern had more than three touchbacks in an entire regular season. I mean, an entire regular season was 2017 when he had five. So this, I mean, this is a case of power versus precision. And, and certainly the the money comes into this too. You're always looking to get younger and cheaper at spots when you can. Denard, for you, I'll, I'll ask it this way. As a guy who played defense in the NFL, how much did you appreciate a punter who would consistently put the opposing offense inside the 20 i mean did you pay attention to those kinds of things absolutely because a punter can be your best friend or your worst nightmare i had a chance to play with the great woogie craig hentrich who's one of the best of all time and i tell you what it makes a difference in field position it makes a difference in how defensive coordinator calls a game or calls a series if he puts you if he puts in a your opposing opponent inside the 20 guess what the probability of that team getting out of their scoring it diminishes, it decreases. So once again, if you have a punter who shanks a ball, well, again, guess what happens? The probability, if it's a short field, they don't have, if they have a short field to work with, then all of a sudden, guess what? Your probability to score, it increases. So again, a punter, you love him. A punter is a defensive guy. You love those punters. And what they do is they can decide the decision of a football game. They decide the fate a lot of times when you talk about field position. This game is probably 90% of field position. If you win bad field position all night long, David, half of the time you probably won't win those games. So again, this is going to be tough because Brett Kearns, man, that is a tough player to replace. And especially if this young man can come out and beat him out, you're talking about a three-time pro bowler. You're talking about a first-team all-pro. You're talking about a punter that you might consider if you look at his stats and look at his body of work, I don't know how you get voted into the Hall of Fame, but he has the credentials. I mean, he's put in that body of work and not to mention 15 seasons. I know he started in Denver and now, man, I mean, what a career he's had. And if this is how it's going to come to an end, I mean, it's going to be a tough battle between those two. Yeah. And and if, if you're the Titans and you make that change, you better be right. Don't you think? I mean, because – Somebody out there, if Brett Kern's on the waiver wire, there's going to be a team out there going, that guy's better than our guy. Yeah. And, and we're going to, we're going to pick him, you know? So if, if you go with Stonehouse and two or three weeks into the season, he's not getting the job done. You're not going to be able to go back to Brett Kern. He's going to be somewhere else. Well, to, to that point, exactly, David, uh, you know, we saw today, Colts' punter, uh, Rigoberto Sanchez, suffered an Achilles injury. He's probably done for the year. Colts are looking for a punter. So, you know, good chance, you know, hypothetically, that the loser of this competition might end up playing the Titans twice a year. 
So if you make the wrong call, if you're the Titans and, and Brett Kern is burying you at the five, you know, five times uh, uh, twice this year, you know, uh, that, that decision is really going to be second guess. You, be- you better not lose that game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We, we, we've got to, of course, talk about Malik Willis because he has been the, the sort of the central figure in some ways to this preseason uh, through a touchdown pass against the, uh, against the Buccaneers, I, I think was probably a little bit better on overall than, than he was against the Ravens. Um, you know, I'm on the record saying, I think he is not competing with Logan Woodside. He is just competing with whatever the Titans notion is of being good enough to be a backup quarterback. And they're doing everything they can in this preseason to try and get him to that point. So uh, John, do you think he's at that point yet that he is the number two? That is the uh, that is the key question to me because if he is your number two, you know there's a good chance you could put Logan Woodside. You could you could cut him, bring him back to the practice squad. You can you can feel better about you know Logan Woodside not getting claimed uh, by another team and and maybe making it on the practice squad. If you think that you have to have, uh, you know, if you think Logan Woodside has to be your number two, well, you're certainly keeping Malik Willis on the roster too. So that's three spots. Uh, you know, taken up by quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, I think I, I would agree with you that that Willis is better, was better in, in week two. But, uh, you know, I, I still wonder if, if right now, you know, if, if Ryan Tannehill, heaven forbid for the Titans, you know, goes down an injury week one, do you feel comfortable right away that, that Malik Willis is the, is the better alternative than Logan Woodside? You know, I, I wouldn't say that 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 everything Willis has done so far uh, makes you say yes, because, you know, we're still seeing the hesitancy. Uh, you know, we're, we're still seeing that that indecisiveness keep holding on to the ball uh, too long in the pocket. But I and I wrote this, you know, earlier, too. I'm not sure Malik Willis has to do a whole lot now to win the number two, because I think Logan Woodside, unfortunately for him, is kind of losing that that number two battle all by himself because Logan Woodside, what the Titans want from him, if he's going to be number two, just go in there, play smart football, play error-free football, uh, you know, and, and give us a chance. Well, in these two preseason games, he's thrown three interceptions. That's tied for the most in the NFL so far. So if, if the comparison is supposed to be Malik Willis's, you know, uh, uh, splash play potential versus Logan Woodside's, uh, you know, consistency and an error free football well logan woodside is coming up wanting you know where, where he is supposed to be good so right now you know if if it came down to it for me i'm holding on to malik as, as number two i'm cutting logan woodside and hoping he can makes it through makes it through for um you know on the practice squad denard where did you see development improvement whatever it is from week to week in Malik's game based on what he did against the Buccaneers well the decision making I mean that really stood out um the fact that when I looked at this game it it seems like he's evolving I mean just look at the plays I go back to the um the second and four they went play action and there was and Tampa did a great job in taking away the deep threats and unfortunately he took a sack I mean the 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 defensive line for Tampa did push the offensive line back, but again, it was second and four. Again, you can live, and what I like to call it, it says that you can live another down in this league. He didn't throw the ball away. He didn't, um, 
he didn't throw it in a place where he shouldn't have. And sometimes you see that in young players. So I love the decision-making. I love the negative part about the game. And this is what I mean by negative. If you look at the fourth, it was a fourth and five. And he, he threw the ball behind Chick Okonkwo. And it could have been a first down. Unfortunately, it turned the ball over downs. Now, he's got to get better in that area. Remember I was telling you about quarterbacks. You want them to put it in a spot. Because if sometimes if you put it behind the receiver, guess who's sitting there? It's a defensive back or a linebacker. And he's picking it off and he's taking it to the house. So, again, he, he made a negative play because it was fourth and five. And, unfortunately, when they turned the ball over, it could have been first, you know, first and ten, you know, first and five, whatever. But then you look at uh, he comes back in the game later on in the second quarter, again, with the play action. It was a second and second quarter. It was a first and 10. Everything broke down downfield, but you saw that athleticism. I mean, nothing was there. And then he was able to elude a defender and not only pick up a huge game, Tennessee went on to score uh, by a field goal by Big Randy. So that's what you like to see. I mean, I, he's getting better. He's looked like he's getting more comfortable. And what you love about him is something, David, you and John, you've boasted about is he doesn't get rattled. I mean, you saw the poise in the red zone. I mean, there was nothing there. And you saw Chig, when Chig ran that route, he ran like a little end, but there was nothing there. And then all of a sudden, Chig did a great job in getting opening. And you saw Malik dart that ball in there and put it right. And Chig Okonkwo, who the, both of them, I love about those two is you can see like they, they develop in chemistry. It, it looks like these two, they've worked together. So again, I love all of those attributes that the poise, the athleticism, the power that he displayed, breaking tackles in the game. He's getting better. And what I don't understand, and I hope David, you and John can let me know, why does it seem that they're starting off with Malik? Because it looks like they're pushing Malik to get that second yeah. uh, to be oh, the backup. Yeah. But it's like Logan, he's coming in, what, late third or fourth quarter? So you got to look at the players around Logan as well. And I know when Logan threw that interception, unfortunately, he threw that right in the cover. Uh, there was nothing. It looked like he was just trying to force it in there. And that's what's been bothering about Logan because Logan is a good, he has experience. And right now, if something happened to Ryan, I know the way Logan has played, it hasn't looked good. But when you talk about familiarity and you talking about being in the system for four years, that's where I would lean towards Logan because of his he knows he's got that playbook down and you put better pieces around him in pivotal points of the game rather than guys that probably won't make this team. Yeah. I, I don't think the coaches are holding are holding it against Woodside as much as maybe the fans are. I, I think the whole quarterback usage in the preseason has been about, we know exactly what Logan Woodside is and what he can do. It, you know, he's probably the quarterback he's going to be or close to it. He doesn't have to prove anything to us that Malik Willis is the one we have to find out about in a lot of ways. And it was, it was interesting to me, you know, Mike Rabel was, was pretty quick to to point out mistakes Willis made after the Baltimore game on Monday, he was asked about Oconquo scoring that touchdown. And he said, uh, he said, Chig probably had the easiest job. Uh, the protection was fantastic and Malik was good in the pocket and worked through the progression. Chig had no choice, but to catch it, which, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, I thought that was pretty telling that he was, uh, he, he was willing to, to give Willis a, a, an attaboy or a pat on the back that way that he certainly wasn't willing to do after the Baltimore game. And that suggests to me too, a lot of what you're saying that, the, you know, he feels much better about Malik Willis coming out of, 
game two than he did coming out of game one. And and I have no doubt that we're gonna we're gonna see a whole lot more Malik Willis in uh in week three against the Arizona Cardinals. But uh that will do it for us tonight here at uh at or this week for Believe in Titans. As I say, next week we'll be uh we'll be looking at what the final 53 man roster looks like and and starting to look ahead to the regular season. But until then, Denard Walker, thank you. Thank you, and don't judge a man by his size, please. <laughs> John Wall or John Glennon, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of you who have who download and listen to us regularly. We do appreciate it. We will talk to you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.